Good morning again. I was just up here a second ago. All right. Well, hey, guys, I am so looking forward to sharing this talk with you this morning. I, I um, There's sometimes that, um, you know, I, I, I come up here and I have a message that God didn't just work with me over the course of the week about sharing with you, but really God has spent the course of the week shaping and molding me, teaching me some things, and those are my favorite weeks, because I would so much rather come and just talk to you about what God has been teaching me, uh, and that's what I want to do this week. I, I, I just want to share with you a personal journey God has taken me through to really expose a problem in my own life. Um, and, of course, you know that just because I serve here doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, my wife will vouch for me that I have plenty of imperfection to go around, right? So God has really been showing me a, an imperfection in my life. He's been showing me something that I need to work on, and he's really taken me through a journey of, of discovery in the Bible to help me understand this, and I just want to share it with you if you'll allow me to. And I want to talk to you about a problem that I think a lot of really good people have. I think there are a lot of wonderful people in the world who struggle with this issue, but the thing about it is no matter how, how hard you try to be a great father, a great mother, a great friend, a great worker, um, it still doesn't matter. This problem, if it is an issue that you struggle with, it will break things in your life and it will cause you to miss opportunities. And, and what we're going to be talking about this morning is what I would like to term a problem with occasional anger. Has anybody in this room ever had a little bit of occasional anger, right? Yeah, it, it's, it seems to be kind of ubiquitous, doesn't it? I mean, pretty much all of us, I think, at certain points, you, you, you know, I think about this. You know, I, I tend to think that I'm kind of a laid-back person. You know, I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't say that I, I have some sort of pathological struggle with anger. I tend to be just kind of, you know, in fact, probably uh, I would be a person that if you really got to know me, you'd say, hey, Jonathan usually lets things roll off, you know. But I will tell you that if you back me into a corner, right, eventually you get me desperate enough and I'll show my teeth, right. And I think all of us are, are that way to a certain extent. So what I want to talk about is, is how do we deal with that? Because at some point in your life, you'll be backed up against the wall. And how many of us know that the, the moments that most determine the success that you'll have in your future are those moments that you're backed up against the wall? It's those moments when you're desperate. It's those moments when you have to make a decision in a difficult time. Those moments will determine what your future looks like. And those decisions will be crucial. And I know as I'm even beginning to talk about this, Right, is I'm even starting this up. I know there's somebody in the room, probably a guy, right, who's saying, I don't struggle with anger. Never. I don't, I, don't, I don't deal with it. You know, I don't lash out or whatever. Maybe you're like me and you have the spiritual gift of passive aggression, right? And, you know, so you, uh, you struggle with the three S's, you know, sarcasm, sour looks, and silence, right? The, those... Those are anger cues just like lashing out, okay? So let's just all kind of come to an agreement here. Whether we shut down because we're angry or we lash out because we're angry, moments where we get angry, we have the potential to lose something. And I want to talk to you about that. And I want to talk to you about a guy in the Bible that, and I, I picked this story for a reason. Because you know what? I, when God started to deal with me in my heart and say, Jonathan, sometimes you struggle with anger and you need to get it in check. And I said, yes, God, but I'm a good guy, Right? I'm, I'm not perfect, but, but, you know, most of the time, I'm pretty tolerant. Most of the time, I'm pretty patient. Most of the time, I'm pretty, I'm, you know, I'm, well, you know, I basically told God I'm a teddy bear, right? And I'm pretty close to that, right? But, but God said, yeah, well, that may be the case, but God took me to a story in the Bible where there's a guy whose patience I cannot even come close to. His ability to deal with problems, I cannot even come close to. His willingness to follow God, I'm not even close to there, and yet, his anger cost him something. I want to talk to you about this guy. His name was Moses. And here's the deal with Moses. Moses was so special that out of all God's people, God picked him 
to lead his people out of slavery into a land that God had chosen for them. Now think about this. That may sound like, you know, we've heard this all our life. You know, Moses was picked to lead God's people from Egypt. You know, let my people go. And, you know, if you've watched the movie, The Ten Commandments or whatever, you know, you can you, you have those images coming to mind. But, but let's just talk about this for a second. Best schol- the best scholars who have looked at this believe there were probably about 2.5 million people that Moses was called to lead 250 miles from Egypt to the Promised Land. 2.5 million. Anybody been to the Kansas City Chiefs Stadium? Right? Few people. Good. Been to organize a football trip. Okay. So, <laughs> you could fill up the Kansas City Chiefs Stadium 31 times with this group of people. Can you imagine? God calls you to lead that many people 250 miles on foot. Right? So he must have been something special. And even God said that. God even said he was special. In Numbers 12, 3, the Bible says, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on earth. Can you imagine God saying that you're more humble than any other person on earth? I mean, this is a guy that you just would not imagine would have a problem with anger. I mean, humble people aren't angry, right? I mean, but, but you should know that the job that God called Moses to was not an easy job. I mean, think about it. First of all, it wasn't easy getting out of Egypt because God's people were in slavery. So you remember the whole story of Moses trying to negotiate God's people's freedom from the Pharaoh. I mean, that was difficult. But then on top of that, just trying to move that group of people 250 miles on foot is no small deal. And, but if the Hebrews had been cooperative, obedient, God-honoring people, then it might have been doable. But that wasn't the case. The Hebrews just weren't sure that they trusted God. But God wasn't there so much in person. So the Hebrews didn't really have God to complain to. So guess who they complained to, right? Moses became God's official complaint department, right? For 2.5 million people, if you work in HR and you feel like your whole life is everybody that in your office coming to complain to you, can you imagine 2.5 million people coming and griping at you all the time? I mean, here's the thing. Maybe you know what it's like. Maybe you know what it's like when people who, who come to you and are angry with you aren't even really mad at you. They're mad at what you represent. Or they're mad, they're, they're mad at something that you're connected with. They're not even really mad at you, but you feel the full brunt of their anger. Well, that's, you know, that's where Moses was. I mean, they got mad at Moses because they didn't have enough water to drink, so Moses talked to God about it, and God provided water. Then they got mad at Moses because they didn't have food. So Moses talked to God about it, and God actually provided bread that would show up on the ground in the mornings. I mean, straight from God's bakery, bread on the ground, right? And they got mad at Moses because later they didn't have enough water again. So God talk, Moses talked to God about it, and God said, look, I want you to hit that rock over there, and water's going to come out of it. And so Moses did that. And then God called Moses up on a mountain, gave him Ten Commandments, gave him his law, his standards for living. Moses comes down off the mountain with God's law, finds the, the guys that were, were worshiping some joke statue they'd made out of gold. They'd basically turned away from God and were worshiping this, this golden statue. And if that wasn't bad enough, it was Moses' chief of staff, more or less, who'd made the thing in the first place, right? But Moses begged God not to destroy the Hebrew people and start over. Later, the people just started complaining about general stuff again, and God started sending, God sent a fire that started burning up the edges of camp. And Moses went to God, and he said, God, please don't hurt these people with that fire, and God stopped the fire. Then the people said that the manna wasn't enough. You know, they started grumbling. They got mad at, at Moses because in Egypt, meat was on the menu, right? There was no, no meat. All they had was bread, right? So, so Moses goes to God, and he asked God to do something. God sent quail. Now, if you're a hunter, a bird hunter in the room, if you can imagine how much quail God would have had to have sent to feed two and a half million people, that was no small deal. Then in Numbers 12, Moses' key leadership team rebelled against him and insinuated they ought to be the leaders. And this time, Moses didn't even have to go to God. God took care of it before Moses even had time to react. 
But finally, and this is the big one, they were going 250 miles from one place to the other place. They get within a few days' distance of where they're going. And they send in 12, 12 people in an advance team to go check out the land that they're getting ready to go into. They, they send an advance team into Canaan. Two of the guys came back and said, you know what, there are a couple problems there, but the truth is we can totally take it. God has told us to go there. We need to go in. We need to take the land. Let's do this. And 10 of the guys came back and said, you got to be crazy. We're going to get pummeled, right? we got to turn back. Who do you think the people listen to? Right? Listen to the 10 guys. And guess who they blamed? Right? They blamed Moses, right? And this is familiar territory for Moses, but it's worse this time. I mean, this time they're already chartering a bus back to Egypt, right? They're nominating a new leader, and they're planning to kill Moses on the way out of town, right? But even then, in the middle of that, Moses begged God to forgive the people. But this time there would be a really heavy consequence. God told Moses, he said, you know what? I prepared this land for these people. I had it ready for them. I knew they could go take it. They chose not to go in. So fine, they don't get to go in. Anybody over the age of 20 right now, they're going to wander around in this wilderness for 40 years until they die off, and then the young generation's going to get to go in and take the promised land. Only people who are going to be able to make it are going to be Caleb and, and Joshua, the two guys who said, we can take it. The, the, two, the, the two members of the advance team who believe they could do it. God said, I'm going to let them stick around, and they'll get to go in, but all the other adults, they won't make it. Right? Can I ask you for a second, just taking a step back, put yourself in Moses' place. I mean, he spent... All this time with these grumbling, complaining, huge crowd of people, they're always mad at him. They're always upset with him. And it's not his fault. He's just doing what God has told him to do. And God just told him that he's going to have to babysit these guys for 40 more years. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I'm not good at math, all right? So may, maybe you'll find out that my math was wrong on this. I did a little bit of my own math. And Google's great, right, because you can find anything out on Google, right? So I decided, I wondered, you know, if they were walking a decent distance during those 40 years, how far could they have gone, right? So, so I figured out, if they had walked for two and a half miles a day, five days a week for those 40 years, they would have walked the circumference of the earth plus some. Can you imagine? Moses has been dealing with these guys, but all this time he keeps thinking, oh, we just got to get there, we just got to get there. I mean, some of you guys who've traveled with small kids in the back seat, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> We just got to get there. We just got to get there, right? 250 miles, and he finds out that now he's going to have to watch these people for 40 years while they literally stay in the one small patch of desert and walk the distance of the circumference of the earth. I've got to be honest with you. If I was Moses, I don't know how I would have responded. I mean, I don't. I mean, you think about a guy who's gone through so much, but God continued he continued to serve the people, and he continued to go to God and say, God, be kind, be generous, be gracious to these people, be merciful. Folks, Moses was a good guy. If there ever was a good guy, Moses was a good guy. And while I can't ever come close to that standard, I hope I'm a good guy too. The Bible says nobody's perfect, and I don't ever expect to be perfect, but I want to be a good guy. I hope to be a good guy. But I would be doing myself a disservice if I did not keep in mind that even good guys have a breaking point. Even good gals have a breaking point. You can try to do the right thing. You can try to be gracious. You can try to be humble. You can try to be merciful. But there will be moments when anger will still show up on your doorstep. Folks, anger is a God-given emotion. It's a normal emotion. It will come. The question is what we do with it. Numbers 20, I want to read this to you because this was kind of Moses' breaking point. It says, in the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. Now again, they're wandering around. They're not getting any place in particular, right? 
There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Now keep in mind, I, some of y'all have been babysitting 10, 12 kids at a time, so you know what a coup is, right? You, 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 you know what it's like when, when mutiny occurs, and mutiny can't occur with 10 kids and two adults. I'm telling you, it can happen, right? But imagine being one adult and having 2.5 million people decide to mutiny on you, right? They blamed, of course, Moses, and said, and this is these whiniest people in the world, they said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, right? Why, and by the way, why did they not die in, uh, with their brothers? Well, because Moses kept asking God, please be merciful, please be gracious, please be kind to these people, right? Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt, right? It's always funny, you know. When in, in hindsight, it can always work that way, right? Some, somebody who's a leader, and you're, you're going along with them. Yeah, you lead us. You take us where we're going, and then it doesn't turn out the way you want. And you're like, you made us do that, and that's what they're doing, right? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. That's their shopping list, right? Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they did what? Fell face down on the ground. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watched, now watch what his instructions were. Speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You'll provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told and he took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Now so far this sounds like the Moses we all know and love right? He has a problem. He goes to God. He says, God, you, we got to do something about this. And God says, okay, here's what you do. And, God, and Moses begins to respond. He starts to do what God tells him to. But somewhere on the road to doing the right thing, anger gets a hold of him. Look at Numbers 20, verse 10. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? And then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Folks, I don't know if this speaks to you, but man, it speaks to me. Moses was on the way to do the right thing, but anger crept in and he did the wrong thing. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I mean, some situation comes up, some bad thing comes up, and you know you're on the way to respond correctly. You've already got it in your mind. You're going to respond in a metered, kind, gracious way. That's what you know you should do, and you're on your way to do it, but anger grabs a hold of you at some point, and at some point, instead of responding, you over-respond. You go too far. That's what Moses did. Moses was going to respond, but he over-responded, and in public, God stood behind Moses and provided water, but in private, God would inform Moses of the cost of his actions. I want to read this to you out of Numbers 20. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not do what? Trust me. Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. After a lifetime spent leading God's people toward a destination, Moses won't get to go there. Moses is going to die off with all the rest of the adults. He won't get to be the leader who takes the young generation into the place that they were meant to inherit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it must have felt like? I mean, he was a good guy. I mean, that's not fair, is it? It's not fair, is it, that, that, that a guy who did so many good things for so long and had really worked to honor God, it's not fair that God would take something like that away from him just because he had one moment where he sort of hit a ten temper tantrum, right? I mean, Moses wasn't an angry person. He was a good guy. He wasn't abusive. He wasn't aggressive. He just let his temper get the best of him for a moment. 
Here's the crux of what I want to say to you this morning. Anger is a God-given emotion. Anger is something we'll all experience. But if you let anger control you for a moment, you will lose a bit of your future. If you let anger take control of you, you will lose something God has planned for you. How can we avoid that? I want to spend just a few minutes with you this morning and talk to you about the major way we can try to avoid the mistakes that lead us down that road where we let anger take control of us and we lose a bit of our future, which, by the way, some of us have already lived that, haven't we? Some of us became angry at our job and we lost a little bit of our potential at that job. Some of us have been angry at our kids and we've, we've lost a little bit of the future that we had the relationship that we had. We've become angry with our spouse over and over again, and we've lost some of that bond that we had with our spouse. How do we keep from doing that? I want to share with you, if you're a note taker, I want to share with you three mistakes that lead to letting anger control of you. Three mistakes, and I just want to go over these quickly, and then we'll be done. Here's the first one, and I think maybe this is the most, the most major of the three, and that is this. It's the mistake of believing that this is between me and the person that I'm mad at. If I'm mad, the, the, this is just between me and them, right? Have you ever noticed when you get mad, you sort of, you sort of develop a little bit of tunnel vision, right? It's like the rest of the world just sort of fades out for a minute, and it's like you and that other person, right? And it's just, grrr, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's on at a certain point, right? And everything else sort of fades into the distance. I, I kind of have that problem. And, we, and we, we have sort of a whole language to go along with this, don't we? I mean, we have, we have specific phrases in order to keep it that way, right? This is none of your business, but out, right? This doesn't concern you, right? These are, these are language, little bits of language we've developed to help people understand that when you get angry, it's between you and the person you're mad at. Now, don't come in between them, right? And how many of us know that's a really dangerous place to be, right? You get in between two people who are angry at each other, and, then, you know, you could end up, you know, not doing too well. Let's, let's ask this question for a minute. What was it that God said to Moses was wrong about his anger? Because I could sit here all day long and tell you what I think was wrong about Moses getting angry, but that wouldn't be very important. The question is, what did God say? And look at what he says in Numbers 20, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to do what? To demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. Now let's talk about that word holy for a minute. Whenever you see the word holy in the Bible, the idea of holiness is being different, being set apart being not the average, not the normal, something that's special and different and, 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 and set aside. So here's the thing. If you want to look at, 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 at the relationship, right, that happened with Moses and this anger and the situation with God's people, it wasn't just Moses and God's people, right? You got three parties. It's like you've got Moses here, God's people over there, and God's right here, and he's part of the situation. I think this is what God really wants us as God followers to understand. You get angry at somebody, it's not just you and them. It's you, them, and God, and he's part of the equation, right? And so what happened was, you know, you, you wanna, you, I, I want to ask the question, why did God pick Moses? I mean, why does God pick anybody? Why would God choose Moses? It's not like Moses had, had, you know, gone through any special training program. He didn't have a pedigree. He didn't have a degree. He didn't have letters after his name. Why did God pick him to be the leader of two and a half million people? I think it's because he was different. I think it's because God knew out of 2.5 million people, there was one guy he could trust that would do what he told him to do, and there was one guy who would not grumble, not complain, and, and that, would, that would understand that God had something special in mind for these people. 
It was that he was different. And throughout his ministry, leading God's people, he continued to demonstrate the fact that he was different to those people. Over and over again, God had impacted him as a person. And because God had impacted him as a person, he showed that impact by being different. He wasn't just like all the rest of the people. When they were grumbling and complaining, he could have grumbled and complained too. If anybody has a right to grumble and complain, it's somebody who's being attacked for something that's not even their fault. And Moses could have spent his entire time saying, it's not fair that these people are being mean to me when I haven't even done anything wrong to them. It's not fair that they're giving me a hard time when this is God's, God's the one who's giving the marching orders here. He could have gone over and over that, but you, what happens? Whenever the people grumble and complain to him, all he does is he goes to God and says, God, I really need you to take care of this. He was different. And he over and over, he had demonstrated that difference to God's people, but in a moment, anger controlled him, and in a moment, it wasn't that way anymore. He wasn't showing the difference. He wasn't being unlike the people. He wasn't being like God. It's as though God was saying to Moses, Moses, for the first time, you let your anger cause you to sink to their level. <sighs> Have you ever been there? Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I can't begin to tell you how many times that that's happened to me. You know, somebody's been difficult, somebody's been irate, uh, hard to me, very difficult with me, and, and I allowed anger to get control of me. I stopped showing the world that I was different, and I sunk to their level. I became just like them. And God was saying, Moses, Moses, you, you can't behave like one of them. You've got to be different. That's why you're a leader. That's why you were chosen. That's why you're leading God's people is because you're different. You can't afford to just sink down. And here's the thing. If you want to know what are the two things that made Moses different, I said this just a second ago. It was his tendency not to complain, right? Moses didn't complain. And it was his tendency to follow God's instructions. I mean, you read the account of when, when Moses is getting ready to lead God's people out of Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh. Right? Moses worried that you know, Pharaoh's not going to listen to him. That's a pretty good, legitimate worry. And so God is giving him these miraculous signs to show the Pharaoh to turn him loose. You know? And so Moses, God's going through the inventory of things that he's going to use Moses. He's going to have Moses show these things to Pharaoh. He says, Moses, I want you to put your staff down on the ground. So Moses puts his walking stick down on the ground. Thing turns to a snake. Right? And then God says, okay, Moses, I want you to pick up that snake by the tail. Right? And he does it. And this is where Moses is different than me. Right? Because I share with my dad the opinion that the only snake is a very, only good snake is a very dead snake, right? So, but Moses had always, anytime God had said, Moses, do this, Moses, do that, Moses had always done it. What happened in this moment? In this moment at the rock, he got angry, and both of those differences went down the tube. He called God's people rebels. He, he blamed them. He got mad at them. And then instead of talking to the rock like God told him to, he hit the rock, right? He over-responded. And because he over-responded, he lost his difference. He wasn't behaving as a holy child of God anymore. He was just acting like another one of the guys. I don't know about you, but this one hits home for me. I'm not an angry person, I don't think. I'm not a hurtful person, at least not intentionally so. But if I get upset enough, if I get angry enough, I can be. I'm not a person who would intentionally hurt someone's feelings, but if I get angry enough, I can hurt someone's feelings. I could accidentally sink to a level that is beneath God's holiness. And God was saying, Moses, that's what happened here. You notice God doesn't lecture Moses about what happened between him and the people. 
You know, I told you, we can get tunnel vision. It's just me and them. But God didn't come to Moses and say, I want to talk to you about the way you treated those Israelites. I want to talk to you about what happened between the two of you. No, he said, Moses, I want you to understand what happened between you and me when that happened. Ephesians 4.26 is a verse that if you don't already have it marked in your Bible, I really highly recommend you mark it. It's a fantastic verse, and this is what it says. A lot of us, by the way, half of our culture who doesn't, you know, you can talk to somebody who's never even been to church, and they'll probably know half of this verse, right? But Ephesians 4.26 says this. This is the, the half they might not know. In your anger, do not sin. This is the part they'll remember. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. How many of us have heard that? You know, this, it's, a, it's you know, a wisdom thing. Don't, don't go to bed mad. You've heard that. Well, now, you've, now you know it comes from the Bible. But I want to focus for a moment on that. In your anger, do not sin, right? The Bible is saying, did you notice the Bible says don't get angry? That does not say don't get angry. The Bible doesn't say you're not to get angry. The Bible says when you get angry, don't sin. Right, well, what's the word sin mean? Let's, let's get down to brass tacks here. What is exactly being said here? Well, you know, if, if somebody asks you for a basic definition of sin, a really good one is that sin is anything that puts distance between you and God, right? We were talking about this a second ago because we said there are three parties in this relationship. There was Moses, there was God's people, and then there was God. And, and what God is saying, when you get angry, right, what you cannot afford to do is behave in a way that pushes him away, right? Because Moses thought, I can, you know, Moses let his anger get control of him, and it affected how he talked to the Israelites, but how he talked to the Israelites put distance between him and God. How he didn't follow God's instructions put distance between him and God. And that is the major danger of anger, is that in that moment, you'll let anger control you, and somehow, when you behave a certain way, you will push God away, and that's the one thing you can't afford to do. In your anger, don't sin. But I think appropriately in this case, we look at the literal meaning of this word um, in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, I'm sorry, it means to miss the mark. And we talked about this a second ago. There is a mark. There is a response. Just because something bad happens to you doesn't mean there is no response necessary. Obviously, there is a response necessary. What God is saying is don't over-respond. Don't miss the mark. Don't go beyond. Just go to where God tells you to go. And Moses had gotten clear instructions from God on what he was to do, and Moses over-responded. He missed the mark, and I think some of us know what this feels like. One of your kids misbehaves, and you need to respond. You know you should respond. You know there's a right response. But in going to respond, you over-respond, and you push God away. Something bad happens at work. Some bad situation happens, and you know you have to respond. You don't have a choice. You've got to respond. But you over-respond, and you miss the mark, and you push God away. God is saying, when you get angry, you can't afford to do that. When you get angry, you cannot afford to push God away. I think this is where we get stuck, right? Because we say, but no, but, but God, God, I have a legitimate problem here. I mean, I really do. This guy is a jerk, right? I'm, I'm really dealing with some major problems here. This is a big deal. This is a major problem. But the thing about it is, that, and this is what I really want to, I, I want to leave you with this morning. If you think about some of the more important thoughts I've given you, I want you to really get this. Moses did have legit problems. And as long as Moses responded with God, he was in great shape. But there came a moment where Moses started responding for God, and when that happened, it all fell apart. I don't know if you're like me, but there are moments when I just say, God, are you going to do something here? You going to do something? 
I mean, this person has got it out for me. This person is against me. They're trying to cause me a lot of difficulty. Are you going to do something? And I keep waiting for God to do something. God doesn't do something. There comes a moment where I get so frustrated and so angry. I say, God, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I start responding for God instead of responding with God. And then the whole thing blows up. God's saying, Moses, don't push me away. Don't, when you get angry, don't push me away. Respond with me. If you respond with me, you'll meet the mark. But if you respond for me, you'll over-respond and you'll miss the mark. I want to hurry quickly to the second one. The second mistake is the mistake of believing that my rights are what's at stake. You talk to an angry person. Have you ever tried to calm somebody down who was angry? You ever been there before? Boy, that's difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult to calm somebody down who's angry. And, and one of the things I think you hear a lot when you, when you do that is they'll say, but you don't understand. I have a right to be treated right. I have a right, I have a right to my opinion. I have a right to my feelings. I have a right to, to not have someone talk to me that way. I have a right for somebody not to treat me that way at work, right? And it's as though we believe anger is some sort of vehicle to get what our rights are, to be able to respond, to get our rights back. Can I tell you, our, our, our rights are not what's at stake. Who, who gives you what your rights are? God does, right? If you have a right to something, God will see to it that you have that, right? What's at stake, and this is what's so important, and I hope you get this, what's at stake is our power, what's at stake is our influence, what's at stake is our future, and those things, are what we, that's why I said a moment ago, this is not just between me and the other person. If A gets you to B, B gets you to C, this is one of those sorts of, sorts of scenarios. If this is not just about me and the other person, it's important that I recognize that this is also not just about me and my rights. This is about my, this is my, about my future and my influence. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. I want to go back to that verse quickly. It says, in your anger, do not sin. We already talked about that. And it says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. We're going to come back to that in a second. And th but then it says this, and this is what you need to triple underline. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, what is a foothold? And it's really, really hard for us to translate this over because it could mean a couple things. Most scholars think it means an opportunity, but other scholars say, well, you know, the most literal way of putting it means a room. Either way, basically it's saying, don't, don't give Satan an opportunity. Don't rent the guy a room. This verse is very, very, very clear. It's not talking about anything other than our attitude and our mood, okay? This is very clear. The verbiage is very clear. The Bible is talking about our attitude and our mood. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying, do not rent Satan a room in your attitude. Do not rent him a room in your mood. If you do, it will be his agenda that gets pushed forward and not God's agenda. I cannot tell you how many times a person who tries to be a good guy can get in a fight with my spouse, can get in a fight with Wendy, and I will begin to let Satan rent a room in my attitude, and it will be his agenda that gets pushed forward and not God's agenda. Then it, what's at stake is my influence. What's at stake is my future. What's at stake is the relationship. It's not my rights. It's what the future is. I could lose a part of my, of my future. I can't, give a, I can't afford to give Satan a place to set up camp. And all of us are vulnerable to this. How many of us know we need to know what we're vulnerable to, right? I have a, we have an unspoken rule in our house. And that rule is that if somebody comes to the door and they're selling something, I don't get to answer the door, right? I have, a, I have a little bit of a problem saying no. 
and uh, little problem. So anyway, um, a little boy came to our door recently, and I, I didn't look through the peephole to see who it was because we don't have a peephole. And um, <laughs> so I, op- I opened the door, and it's this little kid, and he's selling stuff. And this, it's just, it should be illegal. This kid is so young. I'm already sold. You know, I'm just like, oh, what a, what a nice little kid selling stuff, you know. And, and then I look down at his little roster. He's got his roster with him, and there are no names on it. And I'm thinking, what heartless people in my neighborhood that they haven't bought— <laughs> I didn't know it was the first stop on, the, on, his, on his trip, you know. I'm sure everybody in my neighborhood bought a ton, but I guess we were just the first one. So I'm thinking, how terrible is this? Nobody's bought anything from this poor little kid, you know. And he looked up at me with those puppy dog eyes, you know, and I don't remember what he said. And I said, sure, no problem. You know, how much is it? And he's like, it's $10. So I pull out $10 bill cash and give it to him. Now, this is a very young kid, right? All he does, he takes the $10, he says, thank you, and he walks on, you know. And I figured that's just the way it normally goes, right? So I shut the door. And, and, and my wife says, what was that all about? And I said, well, it was some kid selling something for his school. Oh, yeah, well, how much was it? Well, it was $10. Oh, okay, what's it for? I don't know. <laughs> well, what school is he from? I don't know. <laughs> well, what is, it, what is it that you bought? I don't know. Well, did he give you anything? No. <laughs> well, did he take your name down? No. <laughs> This is why I don't get to answer the door anymore. You know? <laughs> it's funny. In life, there are certain things that we're vulnerable to. There are certain things that can just sort of make us behave in not smart ways. <laughs> but, you know, on kind of a more serious level, though, can I just tell you, there isn't a one of us that's not vulnerable to anger when it comes knocking on the door. There isn't one of us who's not vulnerable to respond in a bad way when that opportunity comes up. And when, Bi- when the Bible says, don't rent Satan a room, he's just saying, look, there's going to be that moment. You're going to get angry. You're going to hear Satan knocking on the door saying, all right, time for me to come in and set up shop. I'm going to come in and give you some choice words to say to your wife. I'm going to come in and give you some choice things to do at your job to really get back at that person. And he's going to be knocking on the door. And can I just tell you, you're so vulnerable to that. All of us are. You cannot afford to open that door. What's at stake is your future. Moses was a leader. God had placed him there to lead. And let me tell you, what, what, is, what is important, and it's important to understand, that your ability to lead is largely going to be based on how much control over your mood that you have. Here's the thing. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it's been so misused over the years. I've heard lots of couples say, you know, what's clear about the Bible is the Bible saying if you have to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning and hash out something, you know, so that you're not angry about it, and get it resolved, and that's what it means. You know, I suppose that's an okay way of looking at it. But you know what the Bible wasn't saying? that it's all about solving our issues. You know what the Bible saying? Which, by the way, I don't even have time to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the, most, one of the most foremost marriage r- uh, relationship researchers in our, in our time has said that, that he studied couples, and he says from a time a couple's newlywed to a time they've been married for 20 years, at 20 years, they're still fighting about 69% of the same content that they were fighting about when they were newlyweds. Only 31% of their problems have they solved, right? So if this verse means that we have to solve our problems before we go to bed, Houston, we have a problem, right? (laughs) No, what the Bible is saying, it's so clear. The verbiage is so clear. It's saying your mood. It's like the Bible saying don't allow yourself to have an angry mood when you go to bed. Or it could mean that that you shouldn't allow the sun to go down, right? But one of the two, right? Either the Bible is suggesting you have control over when the sun sets or you have control over your mood, right? I tend to think it's more likely we have control over our mood. I think that's what God's trying to tell us. What's at stake is your future. What's at stake is not your rights. Okay, the thirdly, and I have two minutes to do this quickly. Thirdly is, 
believing that when it's over, it's over. Believing that when it's over, it's over. Folks, I got I to tell you, I, you know, I work with couples all the time. People come to my office, they wear this like a badge of honor, you know? They say, oh, you know, Jonathan, I blow up. I blow up, you know, things get me mad, and I get upset, and I blow up, and I scream, and I yell at people, you know. But it's only like four or five minutes, and then I get over it, and then I'm fine, right? You know, like that's supposed to be some sort of badge of honor, right? Oh, you know, after, after the blow up, we're all good, you know, in our house. We're really, you know, that's the way we are. We just blow up, and then we get all better, right? It, let me just tell you, I'm not buying that for a minute. The scriptures tell us that when we lose our temper, when we lose control, when we let anger gain control over us, when that happens, we lose a bit of our future. I want to go back, to, and this may be difficult for the tech team because I'm kind of skipping around here, but I want to close with uh, Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, guys. The Bible says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Can we just take a moment and say, you know, when you get angry, the people that you get angry at, they're truly not the enemy anyhow. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in, watch this, in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. All right, guys, this is, this, is what I, this is the clincher. This is what I want you to get when you take this home. What is the armor that God's talking about? If the armor is what's going to protect us from the fight with the evil one when we're going through a difficult time, what is the armor? The Bible says the armor is truth, rightness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. I have one minute to tell you this story, but I want to give you a working case, right? That's the way I do things. I want to give you a working case because I want to talk to you about a time that I went through the time of evil, okay? And here's the thing. I want you to know, when I, start, when I used to read this verse, I used to think of the time of evil as being, you know, something really bad happened. Some, you know, the world, the world got to be a really bad place and, and, you know, we were going through all this persecution and maybe that's what the Bible's talking about. You know what I think the time of evil is? I think the time of evil is when Satan finds a really creative way of getting us out of the zone that God wants us to be in. That's what I think it is. I went through a time of evil recently, so, you know, about, a, I guess, a year ago now. Somebody bumped into my car, didn't leave a note. That was, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this and chuckling when I was putting this down because I thought, I would never have thought that would be the time of evil. But you know what's funny? Satan used that to take me off track the whole day. And I, I did what adults do to vent now. I got on Facebook, right? And I, I wrote a little status and said, what is this world coming to? You know, is this where we are now, that people bump into other people's cars? They don't leave notes, you know, left this big mark on my Volkswagen. This isn't, this isn't cool, right? You know? And I got a private message from somebody. I can't remember if it was a new springer or not, but I got a private message from somebody who said, you know, Jonathan, it's not that big a deal. In the grand scheme of things, it's really not that important. You can't let it sidetrack you. And I thought, man, somebody just preached to me in a huge way. For me, that was a time of evil. Something got, Satan had used that to get me off track, to take me off of what God's calling was for me for the entire day. So I want to give you a little case study. How, how should I have approached that? I want to give you what I believe is taking the armor of God to the, to the time of evil. You know, so what's, what is it? All right, so my car got scratched. Truth, it's just a car anyway. It's not going to last forever anyhow. Rightness, hey, look at the things I've messed up in my life. If, if I were to hold the people who did this in contempt, then everybody that I've wronged should hold me in contempt, especially for my accidental mistakes. Peace, God asked me to be a peacemaker. Is this ding in my door so important that I need to live short of my calling? Faith, God will take care of me. 
someone does something to cause me difficulty at any level, God will make it up to me, whether it's here or later in heaven. Either way, I win, right? Salvation. Who cares about a car door when I know that my sins have been forgiven and I have heaven to look forward to? And the word of God. The Bible says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat, steal, uh, eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If my treasure's in a little green Volkswagen instead of heaven, I've got some major problems, right? Even in a time of evil, and I don't want you to take this. This is the last thing I have to tell you this morning. When you go out there and you find yourself in a time of evil, even if it seems like something small, but you know Satan is using that to sidetrack you, get you angry, and lose your potential, can I just tell you, you take the armor of God to him, and you tell him to take a hike, because it's not that important. It's 11.01, and I'm already past my time, but I want to give you one last verse. And this is one that we should all keep really close to us. Colossians 3, 6 is saying, and in Colossians 3, Paul is saying, look, when you didn't belong to God, there were some things that became natural to you and they were parts of your behavior. And now that you belong to God, some of those things are still there and it's time to get rid of them. And this is what he says. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Verse 10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And this is what I love. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Folks, I know I told you a lot about anger, but can I just tell you, when you get stuck in the time of evil next time, and you know maybe something that doesn't rate as big to somebody else, but it's rating big on your radar screen at that moment, can I just remind you to hold that truth in your heart? Christ is all that matters. This may be a problem. It may be a difficulty. I may need to respond, but I can't over-respond because Christ is all that matters. He lives in me, and the world needs to see that he is different through me. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for our ability to examine the things that cause us difficulty and to talk about how you need us to respond, not to over-respond, but to respond with you and not for you so that we don't lose a bit of our future. And Father, we trust you with that in the moments that are most important. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. And I, I know we didn't talk a lot this morning about about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I just got to be honest with you. I know anytime we meet, you could hear, you could hear what I'm talking about, and you could say, Jonathan, I've, I've come here, and I don't have a background uh, with a relationship with Christ. I don't have that. Jonathan, could you tell me how I would have that, how I could have a relationship with Christ? Here's the thing. God has already done everything required. All he waits for is a yes from you. I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. You can say this in your head silently to God, and if you do, it'll be settled this morning, all right? Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I've done wrong things. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. I trust you, and I ask you to forgive me for those things. Please make me a member of your family. I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everybody look this way for just a minute? If you just prayed that prayer, we have a packet of materials we want to put in your hands. There's a DVD and a booklet we want to get it to. You can just fill out your little talk to us card and say, I prayed to receive Christ. You can take that back to guest services, back to the center doors, or back by the coffee shop, and they'll put that in your hands. Thank you so much for being here. Next week, we're going to kick off the Friends series. We hope you have a wonderful weekend.